thank you guys. Um, you know, we, we've been here, I guess, just a little over a year it is now. And, uh, you know, we're, we come in and it's one of those things where we're, we're following, we're trying to follow the Lord, you know, and just in, in seeking to, to walk through doors he's opening and seeking to, uh, for his will to be fulfilled in our lives. We had thought many times of like, okay, you know, we were obviously living in the Canton Holly Springs area and we had thought, man, maybe does God have us to plant something here, right? Because I've got this drum beat on my life of like, how is this going to flesh itself out, you know? And, and that drum beat has been there for a while, but each year it just kept getting louder and louder. And it's like, um, you know, but, but there was so much to the, that was unknown. You know, there was just so much about that that was like, I don't know when and how this whole thing looks like, but you're just trying to follow the Lord and and, and, and here we are, and so we walk into Cali Harbin that day, and we're, we're feeling like, wow, I, th- I, think this is, I think this is it. Like, we thought maybe this is how it was going to look, but I think it may look like this, you know? And so we were super excited about that from the beginning, and from the beginning, you guys have been nothing but wonderful to us. You've done nothing but treat us like family and love on us, and be accepting of us, and warm, and all of those things, and I've never gotten the chance to thank you for that, and I wanted to take a second to be sure that I did that. Thank you for the way that you have treated our family, me and my family, in the midst of all of these things, and we are as blessed as can be to be here, and excited about the future, and excited about continuing to serve the Lord together moving forward, so thank you guys. Um, let's, let's pray real quick before we get started and then we'll dive in. Father, we love you. I pray that your word would have free course this morning. Please help me to just get out of the way and that your word would, and your spirit would do what only it can. I pray that you would guide our steps. I pray you would direct and lead this, this body and that we would be willing to follow you wherever you would have us to go. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning what I want to do is is I, I, I kind of want to set the direction for where we're headed this summer specifically, uh, but where we're headed in general as well out of, out of the book of Luke chapter 4. If you do have your Bible, we're going to be hanging out in Luke chapter 4 a lot. We'll have verses on the screen, but that would be a, a good place to turn if you have your Bible this morning. You know, if any of y'all have ever hosted an event or, man, even just attended an event or maybe you've gone on some sort of, you know, fancy vacation where you're trying to do a lot of sightseeing and and there are particular places that you want to make sure that you go while you're there and you want to make sure you do it all, then you understand, if if that's true of you, then you understand the importance of an itinerary. You you understand that, that, it, that it's very valuable if you're trying to accomplish certain things. So an itinerary could look something like this, right? Your, your flight lands at 10, and you check into the hotel at 11, and lunch is going to be at the Mexican restaurant at 123 Main Street at noon, and you're going to the beach from 2 to 5, right? You go through all of these things. 6.30, you're going to go to the museum, all, all of these things. If you're attending some sort of event or you're going on some sort of trip, you may have an itinerary that's similar to something like that. But what that itinerary really does for us is, is it tells us where we're headed. It tells us where we're going. And we actually learn that idea. We actually glean that idea. We glean it from God. God is constantly telling us. He's telling us where he's going. And so what I want to do this morning is just kind of bring us all up to speed on where I believe the Spirit of God is directing this church. But, but God is, God's into His itineraries, man. And, and, and of course, many cases, His itineraries are itineraries that can only be written by God because He's telling the future. Back, back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, when, when sin entered into the world in, in, in Genesis 3, what we find is that God comes down into that garden 
And he basically lays out the itinerary and he says, okay, now that this has happened, this is where we're going from here. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God's talking to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And, and, you know, and this that verse may seem strange unless you've studied it or let you've unless you've heard somebody kind of break that thing down to show you what God is doing here. And but what we see that he's doing is he's setting the itinerary for where the whole Bible and all of human history is heading. He's saying to that serpent, he's saying that there's one that's going to come from the seed of a woman now. And a woman doesn't have a seed, does she? And so we understand what God is doing. He's already pointing to, he's already prophesying about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Because the seed won't come from a human man like it typically would because, of course, God is his father. And, And so sin enters in the world. And so we already see right from the jump, God starts laying this itinerary of this is where this thing is headed. Because now that sin entered in the world, God is immediately prophesying about the one that would come to be the savior of the world, to forgive those sins. And so God tells the serpent, yeah, you'll, you'll bruise his heel, which, which is a prophecy about the crucifixion. But God tells him he's going to bruise his head, though. Because what the Bible says is, is when Jesus comes back at the second coming, there's something slimy and slithery under that foot of his. And it's that serpent called Satan. And God's going to bruise his head on that day. You see, God's into poetic justice. I don't know if you've noticed this reading the Bible. He digs it. He says that Satan's going to bruise Jesus' heel at the crucifixion. But then Jesus is going to eventually take that same heel that he bruised. And he's going to bruise Satan's head with it. You've got to love it. And so so sin enters into the world. and, And God gives us the itinerary. There's someone coming that will be born of a virgin. He's going to die on a cross, and through his death, burial, and resurrection and return, Satan's head will be crushed. But God lays out the itinerary all the time in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9, he says, Remember the the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. And here's something that makes me so different. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God says, I'm a one of one, y'all. I can do something no one else can do. I can tell you the end from the beginning, and God consistently does that. And, and when God says something's going to come to pass, you better believe it, brother. That thing is coming to pass. Now, we come to Ezekiel chapter 36, and, and God gives us another itinerary. And this itinerary concerns me, and it concerns you. Way back in Ezekiel 36, God says, let me tell you a little something about what's going to happen in the future with a group of people that are going to live on this planet that look a lot like us. He says, this this thing that we're going to see has been fulfilled in all of us here this morning that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And in in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. And what God is saying is, once sin entered in the world, it gave all of us this incurable heart problem. And God says, I'm going to take your spiritual heart, and I'm going to give you spiritual heart surgery. Because what happened is sin left every one of us with a stony heart. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a stone because it's, it's cold and it, it's hard. And God says, when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, 
I'm going to reach into your spiritual chest and grab that heart of stone, and I'm going to pull that thing out of there, and in its place, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a heart that's warm, a heart that's responsive, a heart that's functioning. God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And and not only that, he says, I'm going to give you a new spirit too. You see, our problem was when sin entered in the world, we all died spiritually. So God says, where your spirit died, I'm going to give you a new spirit. So God says, where that spirit died, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach in there. I'm going to give you a new spirit. And what God says in verse 27 is that he's going to put it, his own spirit on the inside of us. It's new and it's his. So you know how in, in the Old Testament it's, Thou shalt do this, and and thou shalt do that, and thou shalt this and that. And he's saying, you do this, and you do that. So when God says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit, what's he say, though, in the rest of verse 27? Interestingly enough, check it out. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them It's no longer what we do. It's what God is doing for us. It's what God is doing through us now. And God lays out this itinerary. And all of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we stand as a living testimony of that being true. And what I want us to see out of Luke chapter 4 is God is giving us another itinerary. And this time it's an itinerary for ministry. And he just laid this passage out in such an incredible way. We glean so much when we study it. I, I'm anxious for you to see it. But he, he lays out this itinerary of, for ministry. And what God does is he gives us the biblical itinerary for the ministry of the Spirit. The biblical itinerary for the ministry of the Spirit, which should be the first blank on your study sheet. There it is. All right, so every one of us that are saved, when the the Spirit moved on the inside of us, it it moved on the inside of us, not haphazardly, but it moved on the inside of us according to a plan. And this plan or or this itinerary is actually laid out for us in Luke chapter 4. And so what I want us to see this morning is for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we can look at this itinerary and determine where we are in our walk with God in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But today, especially, what I want us to to see is that the ministry of the Spirit of God in our lives is going to follow a very specific plan. And it's, it's moving towards something, and it's very specific, and it involves you, and it involves me. It involves us. And we're going to see this itinerary of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it's laid out through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And letter A, where this all begins for us, it begins with the reception of the Spirit. Letter A, it begins with the reception of the Spirit. The the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it, it, it teaches us that Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Okay, so like we were talking about earlier, when Adam sinned in the garden, he died spiritually, and his spiritual death, it, it, passed, on, it passed upon all of us, so that we were all born spiritually dead. We had a humongous problem, like, like John 3, 3 teaches us. We were in desperate need of a new birth. We needed a second birth because that first birth had something wrong with it. It, 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 We were born spiritually dead. And and as we're heading towards Luke 4, before we get there, I I want you to see Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, and and, and the context is about the ministry of John the Baptist. And, And verse 21 says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about thirty years of age, 
being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Okay, we obviously know that this was the son of God, but what, what we find in this passage is, is we find the beginning of the itinerary. Now, in Jesus' example, it was just a little bit different. In, in Luke, Luke 1, what we find in verses 30 through 32 is that the angel comes to Mary and tells her, hey, don't be afraid, you, because what's happened is, is you have conceived by the Holy Ghost. In other words, here comes the one that was prophesied back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that one that was born of the seed of the woman. Again, the woman has no seed. It's a, a prophecy of the virgin birth. And, and because of that, and because he didn't have an earthly father unlike us, he, was, he, he wasn't born spiritually dead. He was born spiritually alive. But what we see pictured for us as God lays out this itinerary for the ministry of the Spirit in Luke 4 is we see the reception of the Spirit in Jesus' life. Now, in our case, we don't receive the Spirit by being baptized like he did. We receive the Spirit by what baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when we call upon the name of the Lord, trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection to save us, it's at that point and at that exact moment in time that we then become recipients of the Holy Ghost. And it's very possible that there are people in this room this morning that are still spiritually dead. You've never experienced that new birth. You've never been born again. And, and, and that's where it all begins, y'all. That's where you become a recipient of the Holy Spirit of God. In, in, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, we learn that, that man, if, if you've never been a recipient of the Spirit of God, you're none of His today. That's a, that's a sobering reality. But what God wants more than anything is for you to come to Him this morning if you've never done that. And when you come to Him that's when you become a recipient of the Spirit of God, and that's where the ministry of the Spirit of God goes to work in your life. And, and, and what we find is there's a second thing in the itinerary for the ministry of the Spirit as we see it revealed through the life of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, which says, And Jesus being, <clears throat> here it is now, full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. Okay, you see, after we have become, look at how Luke 4 lays this out for us. After we have become a recipient of the Holy Spirit of God, as wonderful as that is, we have to understand that's, that's just the beginning. That's just the getting on point. But, but what he wants from us is to, is to live like the itinerary from verse 1. He wants us to live, let her be, in the fullness of the Spirit. He wants us to live in the fullness of the of the spirit okay and we we saw the spirit of god he he descended in chapter 3 and verse 22 and then in chapter 4 and verse 1 it says jesus being full of the holy ghost now now we got to understand something the moment that we call upon the name of the lord to save us we we become a recipient of the spirit of god and at that very moment we get all of him the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. What's the question? The question is, is how much of us does the Holy Spirit have? That's the question. And what God wants is for is all of us so that we can live in the fullness of all of Him. And, and that means we can't be filled with something else. If we're full of Him... It doesn't leave room for much else. We can't be filled with something else, namely self, and be filled with the Spirit at the same time. There has to be an emptying of that self. And understand this fullness of the Spirit that we're talking about that's laid out in the itinerary where God says, I'm going to put my Spirit inside of you and I'm going to cause you so we become a recipient of the Spirit it, it, it moves us to a life of being filled with the Spirit. That's the natural progression of this thing. 
If you're a recipient of the Spirit, He's going to lead you and He's going to cause you to obey His statutes. And one of His statutes is Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 17. And, and what He does is, is He commands us to be filled with the Spirit of God and tells us it's His will for our life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, it is His will for your life for you to live in the victory of the fullness of the Spirit in your life. And you realize that according to verse 18, this is, this is a weird thing to think about, but you realize according to verse 18, it would be no more of a sin for you to go out and celebrate Independence Day by getting slammed at the at the local brewery then it would be for you to be a recipient of god and not live in his fullness we would never do the one that's great i hope you don't i hope you won't that's wise but would you allow the spirit of god that bought and paid for you will you allow him to fill you but it doesn't stop there. Notice in this, uh, the itinerary, it says this in, in, in verse 1. Look at it again. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. This is letter C on your study sheet. The leading of the Spirit. The leading of the Spirit. I first become a recipient of the Spirit. And because of that, the Spirit of God leads me towards a life of being filled with the Spirit. And I'm, I'm living this life empty of self and in the, in the fullness of the Spirit. And as I live in the fullness of the Spirit, I begin to understand what it feels like and what it looks like to actually be led of the Spirit in my life. Sometimes we refer to this as walking in the Spirit. It, it, it's like Galatians 5.16 we, we walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and listen, y'all, walking in the Spirit, it's really nothing more than allowing the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you, allowing Him to have free access to every part of your being. That's what it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, God, God says, I'm going to come dwell with you, dwell in you, just like Ezekiel said that we looked at earlier. I'm going to come dwell in you, and the reason I'm going to dwell in you is because I want to walk in you. Listen, when Jesus has the freedom to walk in all of you, it is then that you walk in all of Him. You walk in the Spirit, and as you walk in the Spirit, you are led by the Spirit. He is leading your life. So, so it begins with being a recipient of the Holy Spirit. It leads to His fullness. It leads to His leading. And that leading leads to a fourth thing. And that's that time, of, that time of testing, what I'm calling in your study sheet, the preparation of the Spirit. The preparation of the Spirit. Looking back at, at Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 again, it, it, it says, I want you to see it from a different angle. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into a mountaintop experience with God, and nothing ever went wrong from that day forward for the rest of his life. Is that what that says? No, it, it, it doesn't. It, it, he was led by the Spirit. Doggone it if he didn't lead him into the wilderness. What no, no good, we know, this group knows, no good ever comes from the wilderness. Into a place of trial, into a place of testing. So, so the way the, the Spirit of God works in our life, as we've been seeing this morning, we, we become that recipient of the Spirit. We learn about living a selfless life so that we experience His fullness. We experience His leading so that He'll lead us to preparing us for what he's intended for us in our lives. So, so what we see in the itinerary here is, is Jesus is led in the wilderness. And so for, for 40 days, he goes without food. And in this period of time, he's, he's tempted and he's tried by the devil. 
And if you recall, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, we learned that Jesus was going to come to this planet and he was going to be tempted in all points just like we were. The only difference is that Hebrews chapter 4 teaches us that he would do it without what? Right, he would do it without sin. And, and what we see here in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 2 through 12, is, is that Jesus is fulfilling that scripture right there. And what we find is that going after 40 days without eating, he, he, the devil comes and he, and he tempts him with the lust of the flesh. He says, hey, there's some stones there. Why don't you just turn those bad boys into some bread? You've got to be hungry. And what's Jesus do? He says, as it is written, Satan takes Jesus up to the top of the mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. The, this is the lust of the eyes. And Satan says, these kingdoms are in my domain for now. And if you want to bypass that crucifixion stuff and you want to bypass that separation from the Father stuff, we can just kind of skip all that. And I'll give you everything, that, all this right now, if you'll just fall down and worship me. And what's Jesus say? As it is written. And then there's the third time. Satan says, if you're the son of God, you know what's written of you. You can just cast yourself down off the pinnacle of this temple and the angels are going to come in and get you. So why don't you just go ahead and cast yourself down? And Satan's appealing to the pride of life. And Jesus says it is said or essentially it is written. So Jesus quotes three times from the from the book of Deuteronomy. And what we find in the midst of of that temptation is, is that Jesus knew how to wield that sword. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And listen, once you become a recipient of the Spirit of God and once you've begun to learn what it is to live in His fullness and are led by the Spirit, then He's going to cause you to be prepared. And he does that in the midst of warfare where we begin to learn how to exercise the sword of the Spirit in our life. And, and I want you to see what happens right after this temptation in verse 13 of Luke 4. Luke 4, 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. What's James, what's James 4, 7 teach us, y'all? James 4 teaches us that if we resist the devil, he will flee from you. It, it, and, and it happened exactly like that. And it happens exactly like that in our lives. And, and then notice the next thing in Luke 4, 14. Luke 4, 14. It says that Jesus then, he returned in the power of the Spirit. That's letter E in your outline. The, he, the power of the Spirit. This itinerary that we've been looking at, we become recipients of the Spirit. It leads us to the fullness. It causes us to be led. It causes us to be prepared for the Spirit, for warfare. And then after that, then after that, you begin to live in the power of the Spirit. And again, watch how that power was manifested in Luke 4.14. Check it out. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So when, when we come to the place, y'all, where, where we're living with the Spirit of God on our lives, we're brought to the place where we're no longer interested in self. It's, it's no longer our fame, verse 14, but his fame that we're concerned about. It's not our glory, verse 15, but it's, it's his glory. It's about his fame and his glory once we begin to live in the power of the Spirit. And then I want you to see this next thing that takes place starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where... He had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. <clears throat> now watch this. What's the next word? Because. You see, see there was a purpose 
y'all. He hath anointed me because he hath anointed me. And that's what's next, letter F, the anointing of the Spirit. The Spirit anointed him. After we begin to experience the, the power of the Spirit of God on our lives, it leads to the anointing of the Spirit. And the, and the anointing of the Spirit leads to the next thing, which is letter G. It, it, it leads us to the ministry in the Spirit. It leads us then to the ministry in the Spirit. Look at, look at what Jesus says in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me. Anointed you for what? And Jesus begins to list the ministry that was given to him. To preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, <clears throat> to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, now, now listen, what I'm wanting you to see like we saw in Ezekiel chapter 36, God says there's a group of people that are going to live in a specific period of time. I'm going to give those people a new heart and a new spirit. And for all of us who have received that new spirit, what we see according to the itinerary is God dealing for all of us how the spirit works. You go from the reception to the fullness to the leading to the preparation, to the power, to the anointing, to the ministry. Here's what I want you to see. All of that was to get us to the ministry. All of that incredible stuff of the Spirit. And of course, y'all, there's wonderful things and wonderful benefits of having the Spirit. Didn't the Spirit of God come to give us life? Yeah, yo, He most definitely did. Didn't he come to be our comforter? Wasn't that one of the things? Absolutely he did. Didn't he come so we could manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? He definitely did. But all of that was to anoint us for ministry. If we're believers that are allowing the Spirit of God to minister to us in the same way that he ministered in the life of Jesus... What we're going to see is all those seven things that we just talked about. We're going to see those things fulfilled in our lives. Now, now, now check out where we are in the story here. Once Jesus received the power of the Spirit, he begins his ministry. His earthly ministry begins, and he went into the region of Galilee. There's a lot of Gentiles in, in, in that region. And, and the passage says his, his fame was, was shed abroad, and he was... He was glorified of all. Now, this is only about four or five miles from his hometown, Nazareth. And, and word had traveled back to his hometown. And, and they'd heard of all about what's going on. And, and Jesus comes to the synagogue where he was brought up. Again, this is where Jesus' earthly ministry begins. His fame is starting to spread abroad. He's glorifying God in an unbelievable way. And what he does is he comes back to what is essentially his home church. And the custom was in those days that they would, they would read some, an Old Testament passage when they would come together on the Sabbath day. And they're in the book of Isaiah, and they've been reading through the Old Testament, and the passage says that, that the minister hands Jesus the scroll. And, and back in those days, you know, there's no chapter and verse markings, and so, you know, he looks through the scroll, and he, he finds Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And, and, and he reads the passage, and, and here's how it shakes out in Luke chapter 4 and verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. Now he's not done yet. Sitting down is the place, it's the place of a teacher. 
and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. They're just dying to know, what is he going to do next? And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. You talk about, you talk about the mic drop moment, right? And, and there was a, you know, a screech involved too. Like every, you know, everybody's, they're rattled by this thing, right? This passage that I just read to you from Isaiah 61, this day that scripture is fulfilled in your ear holes. That's when it's been fulfilled. Wow, what an unbelievable statement that is. In other words, that one that would have the anointing of the Spirit, that's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah, and as the Messiah, here's my ministry. And he goes through six things that were his ministry that were fulfilled. Now, now we've got access this morning, of course, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and, and John. And, and do you know what we find in those books, those, the Gospels? Do you know what we find there? That Jesus' ministry was defined by exactly what he read out of the book of Isaiah that's recorded for us in Luke 4. And what it is, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's the, it's the itinerary of Jesus' ministry. This is what my ministry is going to consist of, he says. And we see that he did that. So Justin, now that you're the head pastor, where, where are things headed? Well, what if we just simply headed in the same exact direction that Jesus headed when he started? What if we, began, what if we just followed the itinerary that he already laid out for us. So here's what I want you to see this morning. What what if Jesus wouldn't have come when he did? What if Jesus wouldn't have come in the first century? We've got the the Old Testament, and Isaiah 61 is there, and, and Jesus said, that's about me and my ministry, but let's just say he didn't come in the first century for the fun of it. Let's say that instead of coming in the first century... I don't know, let me grab an arbitrary century out of there. What if he came in the 21st century? What if instead of the 1st century, he came in the 21st century? Let's just say Jesus is beginning his ministry right now. Does anybody think that his ministry right now would be any different than it was in the itinerary that we find in Isaiah 61 as to what he did in the 1st century when he came? Obviously, it was true of him then. It's true of him now. And just like Isaiah 61 laid out the itinerary for what Jesus was going to do when he came, what Jesus was going to do was going to be the same regardless of what century he came. So, so let's think about this. If Jesus came now and his earthly ministry began today, who are these poor that he would be preaching the gospel to? Who are these brokenhearted that he would be seeking to heal who are these captives that he would be preaching deliverance to who are the bruised that he would come and seek to minister to who are these blind people whose sight would be recovered you you guys remember what we did just about a month and a half or so ago i get i guess it's been it, what we did as a church is we we went to the the new testament we saw what when Jesus came to this earth, that, that Hebrews 5, 7 teaches us that a body had been prepared for Jesus. To, and he did that to manifest who God was. And what, what Corey and I did was we, we tag-teamed a series. And we, we were looking at what the Bible teaches us as to who Christ is. And, and, and how he came to this planet and how he revealed himself on this planet because by looking at who he was it defines for us as a church who we are because according to first corinthians 12 we are the body of christ and and we talked about the fact that man this it isn't up to us or the leadership of this church to sit around and discuss who we should be as a church because that's already been determined for us another body of christ has already been here and on this planet And we can't disconnect 
from who he was, who he was, from who we've been called to be as the church, which we are essentially the second body of Christ. The values that we possess as a church have been determined for us, and we're to follow those. It's a part of our spiritual genetic code was what we were saying. We are Christ in the world now. And and so we saw what our, our values as a church need to be by looking at who Jesus is. And, and, and now what we're going to be doing this summer is, now we understand who Jesus is and the values we need to have as a church. Now that we understand that, now we're going to look at not who Jesus is, but what Jesus did. Because what he did, because we are the body of Christ, is exactly what he wants us to be doing now. So so you understand that Isaiah 61 was fulfilled in Christ, but that ministry is fulfilled today and is continued today by us, the body of Christ. And so what our itinerary for ministry is, is again, not for us to sit around and determine these things, just just where we headed. Once again, it's all right here in the Bible, laying out for us what ministry is supposed to be. And what if we just focused on that? Because the, the, the church around the world today is a long, long ways away from what Jesus was doing when he was here. So since as the body of Christ, we're, we're to do what Jesus did while he was here, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at what I'm calling as the parallel paradigm. And, and here's why I named it that. You guys, you guys are familiar with what parallel means, right? You got, it's two paths. They're headed in the exact same direction, but they're separated by distance. And in this case, our distance is simply time. That's what's separating it. A paradigm is just a fancy way of saying a, a pattern or a, or a model or an example, right? So when I refer to this series as the parallel paradigm, what, I, what I'm saying is, is, is that I'm simply saying that the paradigm or the example or the pattern or the model that we're following is parallel or is the exact same direction as Jesus. It's just separated by time. What Jesus did while he was here should be a parallel paradigm for us. We do what he did. What Jesus did when he came to this planet in his earthly physical body is the same exact ministry that he wants us to have through this corporate spiritual body that we call Cali Harbin Baptist Church. So let's look at number two on your study sheet, the biblical itinerary for the ministry of Jesus. The biblical itinerary for the ministry of Jesus. We saw when the Spirit of God is working, we saw how that's going to happen God is divinely laying this thing out for us in a really cool way in this chapter. And then, and then, then we just saw how it, how it worked in the life of Jesus and that it's going to work the same way in us. And, and if the Spirit of God is at work in this place, which I believe that it is, it, it, the Spirit of God is going to work in this place. It's going to fall according to the pattern that we just laid out here. When the Spirit of God's working, it's going to lead us and it's going to anoint us for ministry. And the ministry is going to look like it did for Christ because that's who we are. So let's look at some of the things that that his ministry was characterized by, according to Luke 4. Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to, here's the first one, Preach the gospel to the poor. Letter A, preach the gospel to the poor. Now understand, <clears throat> God didn't have any beef with the rich. He, he didn't care about their souls less than he cared about all of us poor folk. You know, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't care about them any less. But I will say this, he understood some tendencies that the rich have. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul talks about the temptation that, that the rich have to be high-minded. They, got, they, they, they have the tendency to think that they're better. The Bible teaches us that the rich are tempted to trust in their riches 
instead of trusting in God. And Jesus understood that. He understood we as humans would be tempted to, to cater to the rich, roll out the red carpet. In James chapter 2 and verse 5, James talks about people falling all over themselves to treat, treat the rich with kindness while at the same time ignoring the poor. And listen, I'm probably like a lot of you guys who have has said or thought on quite a few different occasions that if you're poor in this country or that it's because you want to be or it's because you're refusing to work, you have all at least thought that before. And I would tend to agree that there's some truth in that in this country. But have you ever thought about why it is that some of them lack whatever that is inside of you to get up and make it? What has happened to some of them to bring them to that place? I'm not for excuse making any more than, than you are. But I also believe the biblical principle in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that if you don't work, neither should you eat. And there, there are consequences for that. But I also know something else. Jesus said, I'm here to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus also understood, according to the verse on the screen, that the poor would tend to be the richest in faith. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, it talks about out of the deep poverty of the Macedonians, they gave incredible riches, though they had jack squat to their name. And, and, and also understand that once you get out of this country, the reason there are so many poor isn't because they won't work. They would if they could, but there are no jobs. Or if there are jobs, they barely pay enough to eat, much less to ever get ahead. The, the economy is not like ours. But I, I want to ask you, who are the poor that Jesus wants us to minister to through this body? I'm talking about this body that congregates here Sunday after sun, Sunday. It's, it's easy to get on our little middle class or upper middle class high horse. And maybe some of us need to hop down off of that bad boy and come before God and say, Lord, we want your spirit to have all of us as individuals and as a church. And we want you to anoint us for ministry not ministry that we've determined for ourselves when we sat around because we're so smart and figured it all out. But spirit-led ministry that looks a whole lot like the ministry of Jesus Christ. A ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus said, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. And go on in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4. He, he hath sent me to, to let her be, to heal the brokenhearted. To, to, to heal the brokenhearted. If, if I were to give you guys a pop quiz this morning and, and say, oh, he, he doesn't want that. I'm getting no, I'm getting no pop quiz. If, if, but if I were, just, just hypothetically, if I were to give you a pop quiz and ask you to quote for me the shortest verse in the Bible, I think a lot of you guys would nail it. I've got faith in you that a lot of you guys are going to nail that thing, right? Jesus wept. If you grew up in the church, you memorize that, right? We joked about that as five-year-olds. I know the shortest verse in the Bible. You know, we, we, we all did that, right? Jesus wept. But do you remember why he was weeping? The, now, the occasion is the death of Lazarus, his friend, right? You remember that? And yes, that's the occasion, but that's not why he's weeping. You, you see, before he ever got to the grave, Jesus had already said two times he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's not grieving because he lost his friend. He sees Mary and Martha, Lazarus's two sisters. And he sees the grieving and he sees them mourning and he sees them brokenhearted. And you know what he does when he sees them? Jesus wept. And he sees all these people that are just totally brokenhearted over the death of Lazarus. And if you read John chapter 11, it says that Jesus actually groaned in his spirit 
What's he doing groaning and grieving if he knows he's going to raise him from the dead? He sees these brokenhearted people, and you know what happened to him? It broke his heart, too. Now, now do you think that, that Jesus, as he lives through the body of Christ, is less interested in brokenhearted people today than he was back then? He passes by a funeral procession, and, and here's this widow, the Bible says, and she's grieving. But it's not her husband that's dead. That already happened. Now it's her son. Jesus stops the procession, seeing the brokenhearted woman. He raises him from the dead. Why does he do that? To heal her broken heart. Because he was brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. Where are these brokenhearted? Those that if Jesus were alive and well, he would minister to. Where are the brokenhearted that we should be ministering to and that we should be consumed with healing the same way that Jesus was? Why is it that as long as our life is going okay, we don't give a care about the brokenhearted of this world? Most of you guys are old enough to, to remember when we used to get the newspaper. And there was all, I think they still exist, but no one gets it anymore. I don't know how they've managed to pull it off. But there was always this section called the obituaries. I showed you the folks that have recently died. You could go down that list of however many, and you know what you had? You had a list of broken-hearted surviving family members just lined up case after case after case. What, what about people with a spouse that's been unfaithful to them? You, you know how most people feel after living a heartbreak like that? That it would have been easier to deal with them dying than it is to deal with that. Than sorting through the feelings and the heartbreak of that. That would have at least been something horrible that happened that was out of their control. There's a lot of heartbroken people out there, y'all. Jesus said, I'm going to the poor. I'm going to the brokenhearted. And then next, he says, let her see that he's to preach deliverance to the captives. Let her see, preach deliverance to the captives. When you, when you talk about captives, man, it's, a, it, it, it's hard not to think about a topic which has begun to working its way to the forefront more often these last few years than in the past, and that's, the, and that's sex trafficking. You, certainly, we've got the high-profile cases that are on the news brought, brought to, uh, you know, good old Epstein and Maxwell. You know, that we, got, we got that whole deal in the works and whatever sickness goes on at Epstein Island and, and all of that, right? And more and more high-profile people have been linked to all of this sick stuff, much of it going on with kids. But though these high-profile sickos seem to be getting away with it more and more, it's not just a problem of the rich and famous. It is a worldwide epidemic. You, and you realize, and I know that these stats can fluctuate and get nuanced, but that the city of Atlanta is right behind the sickos in Washington, D.C. as the worst place for sex trafficking in this country? It's actually been estimated that 50 to 60% of American-born people that are sold into sex trafficking actually come out of foster care. And of course, America is up there, but we're not even the worst country. And, and these grown men fly to these third-world countries to involve themselves in sick behavior that they have better chances of getting away with over there. What in the world? And you mean to tell me that Jesus sits in heaven this morning detached from all of that? Do you mean to tell me that he doesn't care about that anymore? You mean he cared when he was here in his physical body, but for some reason and for somehow it didn't work when it translated into his spiritual body of the church? Man, does that do anything to you? We get all riled up because someone didn't speak to us in the hallway or things didn't go just our way at work or at church. 
And God is trying to shake us and say, what in the world are we doing? When Jesus gave us the itinerary for what the body of Christ was supposed to look like, and we don't care. We're, we, we become obsessed with ourselves. I'm guilty as charged too. We, uh, uh, we're obsessed with ourselves. We're obsessed with our kids, and we live in this little world in this bubble and as long as no one crosses us or messes with us and the utopia we're building around ourselves and our kids then all is well in the world you know maybe if we got a bigger vision for this thing then we'd see our lives through a different lens maybe we'd see outside of us we 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 see our lives and problems very clearly and everything else gets a little fuzzy out there. And I think maybe we need to put on some spiritual glasses and see the world the way Jesus sees it. And, and, and my purpose wasn't to exhaust all of these from Luke 4, 18 and 19 this morning, but let me give them to you on your study sheet so you have them. Letter D, recover sight to the blind. Letter E, set at liberty them that are bruised. Listen, man, the trauma that people around us have lived through. Where's Jesus setting those people at liberty? Where are the people that even, we even see that are the bruised of the world? And who even cares? Letter F, preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Listen, that's what Jesus did while he was here. You understand what's tied up in, in that phrase? What he's saying is that now is the accepted time. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says that now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. There may be somebody here that when I was talking about the itinerary of the, of the Spirit, there may be some that have never taken that first step. There may be someone here that's never accepted Christ and become a recipient of God and what you need to understand is there is an acceptable time for you to turn to Christ but once Christ comes back that time is no longer acceptable to God anymore the time has now passed there's an acceptable time to receive Christ but after that it's too late it's no longer an acceptable day Jesus was here to preach that he said Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But, but for those of us that know Christ, our ministry should be preaching the acceptable year of our Lord. That now is the time that people need to come to Christ. Because there's definitely coming a day when it's going to be too late. And, and, and I want to ask you, would you would you, would you Pray with me that this summer, that God would do something during this period of time, that God would anoint and, and, and minister through us, through the itinerary that he laid out with his life, and that we would live a, a, a parallel paradigm with Jesus. And, and what we're going to do, y'all, over the, over the next several weeks is we're going to come and just look at one facet of the ministry of christ and we're going to talk about fulfilling that we'll, we'll talk about preaching the gospel to the poor we're going to talk about about healing the brokenhearted we'll talk about how god wants to minister that way through us you you, you know how it is y'all once you come back if you've ever been on a missions trip you know how it is once you come back from that missions trip you, god uses it right you oftentimes you see people saved you come back on a high, church camp, youth camp can be similar. You come back on that high and most people say something like, man, I wish there was a way for us to see something happen like that in our own Jerusalem. I wish we could see God do a work like that in our own area. And, and I just wonder, if we let the Spirit of God anoint us, I just wonder if we if we let Jesus minister through us and we make our focus what he made his focus. I just wonder if we wouldn't see fruit from that. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would uh, I pray that you would just be 
convicting our hearts, Lord. You certainly have convicted mine in the midst of this. I, 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 I stand up here as a fellow struggler, and I, I pray, God, that, that that would change in our lives. I pray it would change in our midst as individuals. I pray it would change for us corporately. I pray that we would have a heart for what you had a heart for. You laid the whole thing out for us, God. You laid out what this thing is supposed to look like, and I, and I fear, Lord, that, that somewhere along the way, we have, we have forgotten that. You have blessed us with so many riches. Even those, even those who sometimes struggle financially in this country are doing so much better than people and others, and, and, and you've been so gracious to us in those ways, God, and it tends to, man, it tends to make us complacent. It, it tends to make us not worry so much about what's going on with the people that you love and the people that you've called us to reach, and, and we're praying, God, that you would change our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.